The text for this morning's worship service is taken from Galatians 5, verse 22. And there we take the word faithfulness, but the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. And then after the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 40, the stances 4 and 7. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, Once again, we're dealing with the fruit of the Spirit. Paul pictures the recipients of his letter, and therefore also us, as branches on a fruit tree that must produce fruit year in, year out. And it must be good fruit, fruit that is appealing to others in every sense. It must look good and taste good and It must be nutritious. Paul uses the singular fruit, yet he mentions nine virtues. That is because for a fruit to be as delicious as possible, it has to fulfill many qualities, many requirements. Sometimes a fruit looks good from the outside, but it is rotten inside, or it has a worm inside of it. I remember once when I was a little boy that that happened to me. I bit into an apple with a worm in it. I didn't eat an apple for quite some time after that. And so fruit, in order to be good for consumption, must have all the right qualities. That's also the way it is with the fruit of the Spirit. Paul mentions nine qualities. He could have mentioned more, but these nine are enough. They are the main ones. And today we deal with the quality of faithfulness. If you are not a faithful person, then you lack one of the most important qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. If you lack faithfulness, then that's like having a worm inside the apple. Without faithfulness, the fruit of the Spirit is spoiled. And that is why the Lord God commands us to be faithful. The theme for this morning's sermon is be, bear fruit and be faithful. We'll look at three things. First of all, at God's faithfulness to man. Secondly, man's faithfulness to God. And finally, man's faithfulness to others. What is faithfulness? The dictionary defines faithfulness as firmness in adherence to promises, oaths, and undertakings. Another dictionary states that faithfulness is following through with a commitment regardless of difficulty. In the Bible, faithfulness is often connected to love. You could also see that from the songs we sang about this morning. For example, Psalm 89, stanza 6. Thy steadfast love goes with thy faithfulness before thee. Time and again, throughout scriptures, these words love or steadfast love they are mentioned together now when the Bible speaks about God's steadfast love or his loving kindness as the King James has it then it refers to God's covenant love and the word faithfulness now also has to do with God's covenant but now that word adds another dimension to the covenant relationship that the Lord God has with his children 
He is faithful to his covenant. That's what he says in Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, that he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. The Old Testament word that is used here for the word translated as faithful in the Hebrew language comes from a root which originally was used of a woman with child. It had to do with a woman carrying a child in her womb and also with caring for that child, loving that child. And so it has to do with the incredible bond that exists between a mother and her child. A good mother will love her child no matter what. She will love her child so much that she is even willing to give her life for that child if she had to. Now that's also the way it is with the covenant love, covenant faithfulness of the Lord God. In his covenant love, he is faithful no matter what. And it is an unconditional love. In other words, his faithfulness does not depend on any qualities that we may or may not possess. But his faithfulness depends totally on God himself. He hangs on to his people in spite of the many sins and shortcomings. He hangs on to you. And he will not quit loving you. That's the kind of relationship that God has with his people. God, therefore, makes himself known as a faithful God. As a matter of fact, God is faithfulness personified. And that is clear from 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, where it says, If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And throughout the history of redemption, we see how faithful the Lord God has been to his people. Every time you see a rainbow in the sky, you can be reminded of God's faithfulness. His faithfulness that he had shown to Noah and his seed. He promised to Noah and therefore also to you and to me that he would never again destroy the earth by the flood. That rainbow is a sign of the covenant with man. And he also gave a sign of faithfulness in the covenant that he made with the patriarch, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He gave them the sign of the covenant as signified and sealed in the circumcision. With that sign of the covenant, he promises to Abraham and his seed that he will be their God forever and ever. And that he will never turn his back on them. And he also affirmed his faithfulness when he made a covenant with his people at Mount Sinai after he rescued them from Egypt. Then he gave them the ten words of the covenant, which we just read together, as we do in each worship service in the morning. In those ten words, he also shows his faithfulness. 
For how does he begin the ten words of the covenant? He begins by stating that he is the Lord, the God of Israel, who has delivered them from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. With that introduction, he reminds them of his great love for them. He saved them from certain destruction. He saved them from certain assimilation into that heathen nation, Egypt. He brought them out of there. And he does not first say that we must do this or that or that first. And that then he will become our God and our Father. He doesn't see, say, first of all, I want to see how well you can keep my commandments. And then I will determine whether or not you deserve to be my child. No, he says, I am the Lord your God. He states it as a fact. Nothing can undo this. You do not have to prove yourself. And that, brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, is what he says to us and to our children as well. That is why he gives us the sign of baptism. The sign of baptism is the sign and the seal of God's faithfulness. At baptism, he says to us and our children that we have a father in heaven who deeply cares for that child and who deeply cares for his people. He says to us in his covenant, I have given you my beloved son. He died for you so that he could be, could prepare a place for you here around my glorious throne. Through him you may have the forgiveness of sins. But that's exactly what he says to us in his word. He says in 1 John 1 verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's important that we have a right view of the covenant. We may not take anything away from God's covenant faithfulness, as some people did, for example, in 1944. There were people in the Reformed Church who took away from his faithfulness by saying that those who were baptized and who later in life went their own way and rejected the covenant of the Lord that then the baptism should be treated as if it had never taken place. Some even said that then it had been nothing more than a useless spilling of water. But where did they go wrong? Well, they limited God's faithfulness. For you see, just because man is not faithful, that doesn't mean that God is not so. He does not say to you and to me, I will be faithful to you. If you are willing to do the same thing. No, God is faithful no matter what. And when he gives us his covenant promises at baptism, he really means it. He will never take those words back. And the same thing could be seen from the passages we read together. In Romans 3, the Lord speaks about his chosen nation, about Israel, his covenant people of old. They were not faithful to him. They rejected him. The Lord had sent them many prophets, and they spoke to that nation about God's faithfulness, and they did that for hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of years. 
All, all of the prophets did so before and during and after the exile. And let's just listen to one of them, to what he had to say about God's faithfulness, Hosea. Hosea spoke at a time of great apostasy. The people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord continued to come to his people with his covenant promises. And then the prophet Hosea says in chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. And these are the words of the Lord spoken by the prophet Hosea at a time of great apostasy. And did you hear the beautiful string of covenant terms that are used here? Righteousness, justice, love and compassion, faithfulness. But then the Lord God does not stop there. For the covenant is sealed when he says further in verse 23, I will show you my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Now that's quite something, brothers and sisters. God's covenant people who were nothing more than covenant breakers, who continually whined and complained and murmured, and who in numerous ways showed themselves to be unworthy of God's love, nevertheless are still not rejected by him. God continues to remind them of the covenant that he has made with them. Note the word betrothal. Betrothal has to do with marriage. And what marriage is he speaking about here? Well, it is a betrothal between the church as the bride and the Lord our God as the bridegroom. But the prophet Hosea had to marry a prostitute in order to show God's people who they are, an unfaithful bride. But also in order to show the kind of God the Lord is, to show that he nevertheless remains faithful to that bride. For we see that in the New Testament times, the Lord still has not forsaken his people. Paul makes that clear. The Jews rejected Christ. Nevertheless, Paul says in Romans 3, verse 3 and 4, What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Paul is speaking here about the Jews who turned their backs on that long-awaited Savior. But does the Lord God turn his back on them? No, he does not. He continues to remain faithful. But now, you may say, hold on a minute. Does that mean that no matter what we do, the Lord God will not hold it against us? Is he going to continue to include us in his covenant, even if we want nothing to do with him? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, of course that's not true. And that brings us to our second point. 
It's not so, of course, and Paul is not saying that in Romans 3 either, that the Jews who rejected the covenant of the Lord will nevertheless be included in the covenant. No, not everybody who has been given the sign and the seal of the covenant will be saved. For it is indeed true that we must accept God's promises in faith. Let us not forget that there are two sides to the covenant, a promise, but also a demand. And we may not ignore that demand, for if we do that, then the promises of God no longer function. Although it is impossible for us to fulfill that demand of the covenant, Christ has fulfilled that demand. Nevertheless, we must do everything in our power to try to fulfill God's demand anyway. That is... That is to say, we must do our utmost to keep God's commandments. We must do everything in our power to show ourselves to be faithful to the covenant that God has made with us and to the covenants that we make with others. If we do not even want to try to be faithful, then we cannot bear fruit either. And if you do not bear fruit, then God will reject you. Not because you are incapable of doing it perfectly, but you are, but because you don't care. You want to go your own way. You want to do your own thing. That's also the way it was with God's covenant people of old, with Israel. They were grafted into the vine, but they bore no fruit. They let go of the vine, and so they were let go of, they were cut off. And other branches were grafted in, as Paul makes clear further in his letter to the Romans in chapter 11. And who are those new branches? Those are the heathen nations, those who originally did not belong to God's covenant people. And so that includes you and me. But let's be careful. Paul also gives a warning. Even those newly grafted in branches can also be cut off and thrown away. The Lord God gives a very strong warning in that regard. He gives also a strong warning to you and to me. The Lord says in verse 21, For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. For you see, the Lord God does not give us the covenant in order to become complacent. He did not make us part of the vine so that we could boast either. I belong to Christ. I can do whatever I want. I've got it made. I belong and you don't. For Paul also gives another warning. He says in Romans 11 verse 18, Do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. And so what does God require from you and from me? He requires us to be faithful to him. To do your utmost to be faithful to the law, to the ten words of the covenant. Listen to what Joshua said in Joshua 24, verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. 
And then he tells them what to do. He says, throw away the gods of your forefathers, worship beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Do you want to be faithful to your God? Do you want to receive God's covenant blessings? Well, then put away your own gods, such as the God of materialism, or the God of your own pride and your own selfishness, and any other earthly attachment which you hold on so dearly now. Faithfulness belongs to the fruit of the Spirit, and that fruit must grow in your life. How does that fruit show in your life? Is it your heart's desire to serve the Lord your God in the way that he has commanded How do you spend your week? Do you search the scriptures and apply God's word in your life? Do you constantly pray to the Lord your God that you may do his will? Are you busy with these kinds of things day in, day out? Or do you only do that a little bit when you come to the worship service on a Sunday? Every day, brothers and sisters, we have to bear fruit. Examine your hearts. And also examine the way in which you serve each other. For you ought to be faithful not only to the Lord your God, but also to one another. And that brings us to our third and final point. Proverbs 3, verse 3 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. The Lord God delights in those who are faithful, who are dependable. There is nothing more vexing in life than having to deal with unfaithful people. They make all kinds of promises, but they don't keep their word. You can't rely on them. Unfaithfulness is especially devastating in marriages. An unfaithful marriage partner causes a lot of grief and misery. A husband and a wife are commanded to be totally faithful to each other. And so let me ask you, husbands and wives, are you faithful? Do you have roving eyes? Do you secretly wish that you are married to somebody else? For remember, even if in your mind you lust for another partner, you are already being unfaithful. Perhaps there are some here who want to live out that fantasy even. Or there are those who think about divorce. They find it too hard to go on. Well, keep in mind, you are in a covenant relationship based on the relationship God has forged with you. But you may say, well, you don't know how difficult it is to live with my partner. It's impossible to live with that person. Well, the Lord God has shown us how to be faithful, even in the midst of difficulties. He is faithful to you and to me, even though we do not deserve his loyalty. He loves you in spite of your many faults and many shortcomings. And now we who are such wretched, sinful creatures, can we ourselves not even be faithful to our marriage partners? Can we not live with each other's faults? 
That's what true love is all about. Christ showed us the way. He overlooked our sins and he gave himself completely for us. He did this without grumbling. Indeed, it even gave him joy. And so it ought to be with you and with me. If you want to be joyful in your marriage, then be faithful in every way. Once you are truly committed to each other and give of yourself, then the Lord God will also bless your marriages. And so it ought to be in all relationships. And also in your relationship with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. The household of faith. Just beyond the text, Paul speaks about that, that we should be concerned, especially, first of all, about the household of faith. That means your brothers and sisters in the Lord. For if you are not faithful to each other, then you are not faithful to God either. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, complains of the unfaithfulness shown to himself, for the Galatians were unfaithful to him. They questioned his integrity and authority. They even wondered if he was a true apostle. And they put him on the same level as the other philosophers. And so in Galatians 4, verse 16, he laments, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? But when you read through this letter, then it becomes painfully apparent that their disloyalty was not to Paul in the first place, but to Christ. They rejected the truth of the gospel. And so they rejected Paul. And yet... Paul remained faithful to them. He, tripped, he kept trying to appeal to them. He calls them back on the right road. He doesn't just give up on them. And so it must be with us. That's how we deal with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Often we too easily give up on people. We reject them out of hand. He or she may be a member of the church, but I want nothing to do with him or her. We reject them because of some past unpleasant encounter with them. Something they have said, something they have done in the past. Well, then remember the faithfulness of God. And how we also ought to be faithful to each other, forgiving. God doesn't give up on us. And he does not do so for the sake of his covenant. He didn't do that either so easily with his nation Israel. Only when they totally had rejected him then that relationship was broken. The Lord God shows his faithfulness especially through his son, Jesus Christ. He was faithful in spite of our sins. You know, that's why he came to earth in the first place. And he knew exactly what he had to do in order to deal with our sins. He also told his disciples about it. He told them that he was going to be arrested, that he was going to be beaten, and that he was going to be crucified. And then at one time, Peter tried to stop him. But then the Lord Jesus says to him, Get behind me, Satan. Why do you think that Paul or that Jesus calls him Satan? Because, you see, Peter was trying to get the Lord Jesus to quit, to be unfaithful to the promises that he made. And time and again throughout his ministry, Satan tried to get the Lord Jesus to be unfaithful 
Don't go to the cross. Don't die for their sins. Just quit. It's going to be too tough. There are going to be too many obstacles and too many difficulties. Just turn around and quit. Nevertheless, the Lord Jesus steadfastly continued on his path to the cross. And even while he was hanging on the cross, the people wanted him to throw in the towel. They mocked him and said, If you are truly the Son of God, then come down from the cross. Come down. It's not worth it. The pain is too intense. The people don't care anyway. Give up. But does the Lord Jesus give up? No. He loves us that much. He wants that badly for us to be in a relationship with him. He wants to overlook. He wants to even forgive all our sins. He is eager to forgive our sins. Why? So that we can continue to be in a covenant relationship with him. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's also how it has to be in our relationship with others and also with each other. He wants us to be faithful. And the Lord God has also blessed this congregation because of your faithfulness. Over the years, a lot of things has happened also in this congregation. Some bad things. Because the church is made up of sinful people. Things have been said and done over the years. Nevertheless, many of you remained faithful. It's a blessing of God. You didn't listen to Satan who wanted you to walk away from the church. No, you were committed to God. You were committed to each other. You hung in there. You came to the Lord's table together. You believed God's promises. You have a greater vision than those who can only think about present circumstances and about themselves. Those who walked away. And that's why the Lord God also blesses us as church. For faithfulness brings its reward. It brings its reward in your own relationships and in the church, in your families. God blesses you when you are faithful. Think about how God blessed Abraham. Abraham's faithfulness was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God when he spoke to him about the promised land. And the Lord God fulfilled his promises. Abraham received not only the promised land, but also, and most importantly, a heavenly country. As the author to the Hebrews puts it. And our faithfulness will result in the same reward, brothers and sisters. The Lord is always true to his promises. That's why he gives us the sign and the seal of the covenant. He is faithful to the end. You can be sure of that. And then, brothers and sisters, then you can also bear fruit. Good fruit. Wholesome fruit. Fruit that we can all taste. Amen.